0: It's the Basketball Hall of Fame's Legends Podcast. I'm Kyle Belanger. Joining me today uh, is, well, an actual doctor of shots. And I'm not just talking about a nickname. Uh, He's a Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame Class of 2011 member. He is the shot doctor, head coach of Philadelphia University basketball for more than half a century, a 1976 National Coach of the Year, a national champion in 1970, Uh, a man who's Record at the college basketball level as a coach is more than six hundred games over five hundred at one hundred and thirty at one thousand thirty two and four hundred and eight. He is Herb McGee, and he needs no introduction. But Mr. McGee, thank you so much for joining me today, sir. It's not a problem, Carl. Thank you for having me. So, uh, Herb, before we start, I have to ask you: um, there was so much of your career. Uh, so many people have their careers um, cu- culminate with that enshrinement into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame. For you in 2011, that wasn't the end. That was just yet another chapter. You're still on the sidelines. You're still you're still coaching. You're still adding to the win total. Can you talk to me about what that night was like in 2011, looking out over your peers, seeing just the the gala and the enshrinement? What was that like? Can you talk about that all these years later?
1: Yeah, I can because uh, I reflect back on it all the time when they announce the, the, the new class, and I just said to my wife the other day, which I mentioned to her a lot. Uh, can you believe it's been six years yeah. since we've been up to Springfield at the uh, at the Hall of Fame? When I was um, told I was going to be an inductee uh, by John Delima. I went around my uh, upstairs bedroom with my cell phone as if I had just hit a jumper at the buzzer. It was like one of the most exciting messages that I've ever received. And then Fran, who was a one of the directors of the whole thing, told me when I saw her at Houston when they announced it. She said, you, you haven't seen anything yet," and she was like a prophet because the three days in Springfield, each part of the day is so highly organized and so well choreographed that it's just an unbelievable experience. I mean, every single minute that you're there, something's going on, and everything that they do is done with such class and dignity that I'll never forget that that uh, weekend as long as I live. So it was the most exciting thing that could happen to me as a basketball coach and as a man, other than my marriage and the birth of my children and grandchildren. I would have to put it up
0: there with the uh, the top day, the top weekend of my life. That's that's a pretty fantastic Rushmore of a lifetime, right? the The marriage, the birth of your children, the birth of your grandchildren, and the enshrinement into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame. I think I think anyone on the street would sign up for that as their Rushmore for sure.
1: <laughs> Without question, and I remember being at the dinner in in Houston, and at that dinner was Roy Williams, Kareem Abdul Jabbar. And God rest the soul, Moses Malone. And the way they spoke—now, Roy Williams, one of the great coaches of all time, and two of the greatest basketball players of all time—the way they spoke about the Hall of Fame and what it meant when they were inducted really, really set the thing set the pace for me. And I said, this is a, even maybe bigger than I think it is. So, the way it's the way it's treated, the way it's done, and the amount of respect that everybody who ever was inducted. As for the Hall of Fame, makes it even made it even more important
0: to me. It's remarkable. We're speaking with Herb McGee, the shot doctor, uh, head coach of Philadelphia University for over half a century. But your story, Mr. McGee, is one of athletic and teaching dedication and brilliance. In 1963, fresh off a championship, the Boston Celtics and some coach named Auerbeck drafted a young Herb McGee in the seventh round. But instead of signing and attempting to join guys like Casey Jones and Bob Cousy and Sam Jones in the backcourt, you opted to begin your coaching career. Obviously, all these years later, we know how it worked out, but can you recall if there was any hesitation or worry on your part when you made that decision?
1: No, no. I I wanted to be a coach. My coach was Bucky Harris, a man who did more for me probably than any man uh, outside of my family. That ever, that ever lived. He 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 took me in almost like his, I was his son. And I went to him and I said, Bucky, I want to be a coach. And he said, all right, I'll get back to you tomorrow. And he went to our then president, Dr. Bert Hayward, and he came back and he said, you can be my assistant next year full time. And I said, oh my, that's an unbelievable opportunity. Unfortunately, I would have tried out with the Celtics, but I had broken two fingers on my right hand And I was known as a shooter, and I'm not going to go up there and do anything without my right hand. So uh, we contacted the Celtics and told them that I was not going to come to their training camp. Now, that's a great excuse for me, because at the time, they they had Sam Jones, Casey Jones, uh, John Havlicek, they had Bob Cousy, and they had Bill Sharman. I mean, that's five Hall of Famers, and that was their that was their back rule. So the chance of me making the team probably wasn't real strong, but I would have loved to have tried it. But I was restricted because of my broken
0: fingers. But as it turned out, uh, it was it was a great great thing for me because I became a coach and stayed there my whole life. And it was a great thing for basketball indeed. And you talk about yourself um, as a shooter and still a shooter because that is one of those skills. And I want to talk a little bit about the skill of shooting, which you've dedicated your life to, not just teaching the men who you have in uniform and the men who you've had in uniform and the men who you will have in uniform, the life skills that it takes to succeed off the court, but also that intricate and sometimes puzzling skill of shooting. So I have to ask you, do you ever worry about what happens when you go on a cold streak? Or is that part of teaching shooting, which is the fundamentals will always be there if you trust the process?
1: Yeah, that's a great way of putting it, by the way. That's exactly the way I would have put it. Uh, no, I never really, uh, when I played, if I was struggling in a given night, I never worried about it. Because it's shooting after you develop your touch and you're the proper stroke, it's all confidence. You don't see Steph Curry worry about a game where he shoots like one for eight or one for nine from three because the next night, you know, he's going to come back and probably make his first six or seven. Because besides having a, a death stroke, he's got a beautiful stroke, he's got tremendous confidence. And that's kind of the way, on a much smaller level than I played when I played small college basketball, it was like if I had a bad situation happen to me during the game, missed four or five shots, I couldn't wait to take the next one because. I felt that it was going to win. So it's it's all confidence. And that's the stuff that I try to do with the people that I teach is work not only on their stroke, but also work on their confidence to explain to them that it's really not that as difficult a skill as people make it. The problem with shooting is no one teaches the proper way, in my opinion, at a, at a low level when you first start playing basketball. And in today's basketball, with the advent of AAU, that kids don't really spend too much time practicing anything. They just play games. So when I was a kid, what I did was spend a lot of time on the the playgrounds in West Philly, not playing basketball, but working on my shot. I wanted to be a player at West Catholic High School in Philly. That was my main goal. And I figured the only way I was going to do it is to be a shooter. And I worked and worked and worked and I developed my shot to the point now that I believe that if a person
0: wants help, that I can help anybody become a better shooter. We're talking with Herb McGee, the shot doctor Herb. You mentioned West Philly and Philadelphia is one of the top 3 or 4 schoolyard basketball legendary basketball cities right up there with with, with New York, right up there with Chicago. Uh, can you talk to me about what what makes Philadelphia playground basketball so unique to the uh, it's it's a sharp elbow town, isn't it?
1: It really is, and it's it's dying. By the way, is it will go by uh, where you normally back in the day you would see a bunch of kids waiting to play pickup basketball. That doesn't happen anymore. Kids, kids nowadays they just play in these they play in these AAU teams, and they play year round at these different events, like in Vegas, in Florida, uh, up in the Poconos, all these different places. Where you don't really drive around and see kids playing. Five one five, three on three, and it's it's kind of a lost thing. And I think it's hurt the game a little bit because I think kids don't spend as much time working on their skills as they do just playing the game AAU. Right, right. But back in the day, you could go to any playground in West Philly and you'd have to wait your turn. We used to play at my parish gym, uh, with one court and if you lost the game, you might as well go home have lunch, and come back like an hour later because you're not playing for a while. So that was one of the big things about playing in the uh, in the playgrounds or in uh, like these parish gyms, that if you lost, you were done. So guys really played their hearts out. And that's how uh, the West Philly, especially where I grew up, that's how the guys in West
0: Philly became such good players. Of course, you're not just teaching at the college level. Uh, you've been asked to tutor some of Philly and professional hoop legends like Barkley and Jameer Nelson, Malik Rose, one of the great college ballers in Philadelphia and in a fantastic pro. What's the main difference uh between the tactics you use with the professionals and the ones that you use to motivate younger players?
1: Zero. There's no difference. It's completely zero. Uh if if here, here's my here's, here's what I tell people. like uh, for example, if someone called me to work with player A in the NBA first thing I would ask the coach is this, is that does the kid want it? Does the player want it? Or is he doing this because you want him to? Number one, the guy has got to admit, or whoever it is, guy or girl, has to admit that they need help. And once they admit it, and then they're open to help, then I won't have a problem. But a lot of times you meet guys, there was I worked with a guy in the NBA, I won't mention his name, years ago. And I could tell in the first 10 minutes he wasn't that interested and didn't think he really needed what I was telling him, Maybe he was doing it because his agent told him or his coach told him. And I developed a nice relationship with the guy, and we had a great time. But his agent called me, and I said, he'll never get better because he's not interested. Now, you take a guy like Malik Rose, who when he played at Drexel, he was a post player. He went down to play with San Antonio, and he called me on the phone. I'll never forget this. He said. Coach, I need your help. I'm down here with David Robinson and Tim Duncan. I can't get in the game. I said, okay, come on up. And we spent the summer in the gym at to Textile at the time, not Goldup University. We had a name change in 1999. And we spent hours and hours in the gym. And I remember telling somebody, I said, that's the best student that I ever had. He went back down there, worked his way into the lineup. They played him at the three. And he developed a jump shot and worked his heart out and got a lot of playing time and ended up with, at that time, one of the big contracts in the NBA, signed for $40 million. So he got, here's a guy set for life and he will tell people, he will say to people, if you ask him about how'd you develop your game, he will tell people that heard me, he helped me with my shot and made me a better shooter. So I believe I can do that. But as I said, yeah. The person who's doing it has to just give himself to me and let me work on the skill.
0: I have two more questions for Herb McGee here on the Basketball Hall of Fame Legends of the Game podcast. Herb, it's such a pleasure to speak with you. It really is. And so I think the answer to this next question I could probably give you. It sounds to me like even though we're 50 plus years, uh, I, I feels like the fire is still burning just as hot as it ever has. Am I right?
1: Yeah, you're exactly right. People say to me all the time, (laughs) I go to the coaches convention, and people will say to me, when are you going to retire? And I said, well, not next year, because I still have it. And actually, we just signed a couple, we're about to sign a couple good players. And we think that we're going to have one of the better teams we've had in recent years. And I can't wait. If practice started tomorrow, I'd be ready to go. So if not there yet, I will know, I know automatically if it's time for me. When practice becomes a drag or coaching in the games becomes difficult, then that's the time to get out because it wouldn't be fair
0: to the young men on the team. But not, that's not going to happen in the near future. That's good news for the game of basketball. Finally, what is, appreciate- it, what is it like, Herb, for you to be working with the Hall of Fame at this stage in your life and your career?
1: Well, you uh, know, it's amazing. I still get a number, a large number, of messages, mail, pictures, etc., that people want me to sign. And every time I, I have no problem doing it. And every time I sign, we're allowed to put HLF, Hall of Fame, 2011, next to our names after we give our signature, our autograph. And I still get a big thrill out of that. Uh, being in the Hall of Fame is as I said to you before, the greatest accomplishment as an individual can get. Because if you go to the Hall of Fame and you look around at the pictures and the plaques and the trophies and all the awards, and you look at the names just from Philadelphia, like Will Chamberlain, Tom Goldberg, Paul Arizon, all these guys that I admired my whole career as a youngster, and now I'm in the same Hall of Fame event as them, it's still an exciting thing. I said to my wife all the time. You know, sometimes I wish I wasn't in the Hall of Fame, so maybe I could get elected again, so I could go through the same experience. Of course, I don't really mean that. I mean, but you know what I'm saying. It was such a thrill that I would love to go through it again.
0: Well, Herb McGee, I I mean this sincerely, and this is this is not just media guy waxing poetic. I would be honored if any of my children were to be able to someday learn from you. Heck, I would love to learn from you. And every time we speak, I feel like I come away a little bit smarter, not just for basketball. I appreciate all you have done for the game and for that wonderful city of yours. Herb McGee is the shot doctor. And like he said, HOF 2011, the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame class of 2011. Thank you so much, Herb. Thank you, Carl. I really appreciate it.